0: To the ink sink, I am Annie here, hanging out with Haley. We are the podcast on writing, reading, publishing for the rest of us. We have a like a millennial trifecta in this episode. I don't know if you noticed. We have a Reddit thread we're going to be talking about today. I'm referencing TikTok in our main section and. I mean, King of Kings, Nicholas Cage makes an appearance today, so I'm I'm really really excited. We are hitting our target market, which is us. Yeah, basically. hard
1: today. Just <laughs> very self indulgent episode, and I'm not sorry.
0: I'm I've never been less sorry in my life. <laughs> How are you doing today, girl?
1: Girl, I am great. You know, work is work, but at least I feel pretty good. I mean, drinking um, your coffee. That's drinking my not doctored coffee.
0: All right, jumping into the news. I wanted to start this off with probably my favorite Reddit thread that I have probably ever seen, but definitely my favorite Reddit thread of the past 12 months. So I'm actually going to read parts of this to you listeners and you,
1: Kaylee, because it makes me smile so much. Oh, no, I love it. I loved it when you sent it to me and I'm going to share it. I'm sharing it with my friends across the board that haven't encountered it. It's incredible. So it's The subreddit, What's That Book? And it's one
0: of those ones where someone posts something and then the Reddit hive mind jumps in to try and figure out what's going on here. So this one was posted by an OP that says, my girlfriend keeps describing this book And she says it is Stephen King's It, but the scenes that she is describing do not sound like Stephen King's It. It was set at a school camp during the kid bits, and there were adult scenes too, 20 something years later. But she doesn't remember them because they, quote, weren't as good, unquote. The kids are different ages, ranging from 5 to 20. There is a demon clown thing hunting them, and it keeps turning into the things they're scared of to try to eat them. Sort of sounds like it, right?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, no, for sure.
0: She remembers a scene where there was a rabid bear, and one of the teenagers set it on fire using hairspray. And at the end, the clown is a female, and there are eggs, and every kid in the camp ends up ganging up to try to beat the clown to death with rocks. There's also a bit with some weird rapey werewolves, but she is less certain about that. She adds in some more... Some more scenes that she remembers the little guys died first and it was dreadful there were so many horrible scenes in the camp bathroom that the uh, the author must have something against public restrooms and by the time i was done reading i did too <laughs> and the top comment which is gilded out its butt is by a user named dj mill and dj mill says hey op does your girlfriend read fanfiction by any chance and op says she says no but she didn't say no fast, if you get what I mean. Very suspicious stuff. If she's been telling me how good some random fanfiction is for the past 12 months, while well, thinking it was the OG it, I am taking my pajamas and going home. DJ Mill says, Haha, hey, this is awkward. <laughs> Hate to break it to you both, but I think she's mixing up It with a couple of fanfics. I can't link them because they're locked behind a privacy wall, but one is an It slash Criminal Minds crossover. Most of what you've described falls into this. And the werewolf thing is a different Criminal Minds (laughs) fic from the same author. And then OP responds, I can't believe Gabby has done this to me. She left the room when I told her it's a fanfiction, and then she came back to ask how you could possibly know that, and now she's left again. And he says, I know. I know because I wrote them.
1: Yeah, it was like somebody was like, how did you know? And oh my God, it's just, that was amazing. I'm oh so, it's so good. And I, I will say, I like that he was trying to give her the benefit of the doubt, like in yeah. his original post. You know, I haven't read it in like five years, but she's also not read it like super recently. We both think we might be wrong. Neither of them wanted to actually go and reread the book, I guess.
0: Yes. It sounds like this has been an ongoing argument for at least long enough for one of them to go <laughs> and read the book. But instead of doing that, it they just, chose to ask the internet. Yeah. And um, to, our, to our benefit it really (laughs) op then responds you are the best thing to ever happen to my relationship god bless your socks i will die telling this story to my children's children i am so happy i could
1: cry (laughs) This is amazing. I cannot imagine the number of playful arguments that these two people have gotten into over the last year. This is and this is a recent post, so this is definitely during uh-huh. the time where at least part of it they were locked down together. They were locked down together. They got pretty salty about this at one point They or couldn't
0: other. leave. OP then goes on to say, "Thank you for devastating my girlfriend's emotional well-being. She needed this." <laughs> Uh, DJ Mill responds, you're welcome, OP. Glad my 180,000 word diatribe against public bathrooms and unsupervised murder clowns has brought happiness to your life. Man, DJ Mill is, I have to say, just won the week. 100%. Main character of Reddit. Won the week. Oh, yeah, for sure. So funny. If you want to check it out, you can go on to our what's this book. It's probably still the top one oh, of certainly. of the month. DJ Mail did post a link to the fic, uh, so that everyone <laughs> can read it and know Gabby's shame.
1: Everything about this. It's this so feels
0: like the wet dream of every fic writer to be like someone went through all of the trouble to create a Reddit account and go on to a Reddit forum that is specifically dedicated to finding books and post about how good this book is. I mean It is one of the classic horror novels of all time and this girl was like, it was so good and she's literally confusing it with it's the original. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's incredible. I mean, that's the wet
1: dream of- I mean, That's why fanfiction is so good. My grandmother introduced me to it, by the way. I just want to be clear. Your grandmother introduced you to fanfiction? Yes. What? I don't know that I've heard this story before. I feel like I've told you, but she, no, she's, she was into the X-Files and she fell into X-Files fandom and she did a lot of editing wow. and stuff in the community back in the olden days. Yeah,
0: that's an OG fanfic. Uh-huh.
1: Haley, it is time to check your oil and
0: install your OS updates and check your air filters and insert other random things you have to do semi-regularly. New Dracula coming. Yeah. I hadn't heard of this until I saw this, the casting news. So Not at all. For those of you who just never watch movies. I feel like every maybe five or six years we get a new Dracula movie. Dracula is in the public domain, so we can really make as many Dracula movies as we want and pay no one anything. So this new Dracula movie is coming at it from a different angle, though. They are focusing on Renfield. For those of you who may not have read Dracula or who may not have read it for a while, Renfield is the Igor to Dracula's Frankenstein. He's the assistant... The story starts with Renfield in an insane asylum eating flies, and it gets worse from there for him <laughs> and for everyone, really. Right. But the Renfield is the assistant that helps Dracula fighting against our heroes, and I am happy to say that Renfield has been cast as Nicholas Holt, and I love Nicholas Holtz. Okay, he is one of the younger character actors out there right now but I have loved every every big transformative role he's been in. I've loved I loved him as Beast in First Class. Loved him as Hux in Mad Max. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm very excited for this. We have no more information than no, that. No, this is
1: like as far as I could see this except is super that weird, guys.
0: Dracula oh, has God. been cast. Kaylee who is playing Dracula. Oh, Nicolas Cage, you guys. I'm so excited. <laughs> I cannot fans. wait. You have a Throw a pillow on your couch that I do, has Nicolas guys. Cage's face I on it, don't you? Yeah,
1: it's like a little hidden secret because it's sequins. so on one side, it's just like one color. And then on the other side, it's Nicolas Cage's face. <laughs> I got a Nicolas Cage throw pillow and I got um, Jeff, Jeff Goldblum, Goldblum. Yeah, that's throw pillows. I couldn't um, remember if
0: it was the same one where you like went one way and it was oh, yeah. Jeff Goldblum and the other one was other No, way. no, there's was... two pillows. It's two pillows. That way I never drink
1: alone. <laughs> During the height of COVID, my work was trying desperately to figure out how to like keep our office feeling somewhat mildly connected, so we had a couple of virtual happy hours. I definitely, I'll be honest, I made it weird for everybody and just had my throw pillows in the background, like, right behind my head when I was, we had to share our video. I'm like, you can make me drink on camera with my coworkers. I'm gonna make it weird for you.
0: <laughs> it's not just gonna be weird for me. If you were not prepared to drink with Jeff Goldblum and Nicolas Cage at the drop of a hat, I don't want to be your coworker. I don't want to be your friend. Correct. I don't want to be in your life in any capacity. <laughs> Moving on. We love a good mystery. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Why would someone publish an academic paper? That is totally BS. This story came from the Chronicle of Higher Education. They reported on something called a Sokal hoax, which I had not heard of before.
1: Yeah, that was new to me. Like, I, I guess I wasn't a I was a fetus in the nineties. I was a fetus. I was just. I was less. I was maybe. You weren't paying
0: dangerous. attention to academic publishing so when weird, you were a when child. I was
1: weird. Yeah, what were no. you
0: thinking? So a so-called hoax it means that someone submits an academic paper to an academic journal, but the paper is in some way fraudulent or fake or a joke. So a brand new sokol hoax has come out. The content doesn't super matter, but basically a paper was published in an academic journal and it turned out that it was 100% BS. And the systems that were in place at that academic journal that were supposed to catch problems did not catch this fake paper. It fell through the cracks and through many cracks, it seems. I... Felt really bad actually reading this story because the academic scientific publishing industry has been going through it right now for a lot of reasons. And this is one more thing. This is the most recent story that we have... The group that published this so-called hoax has not identified themselves in the article. The authors of the news article in the Chronicle were able to reach out and speak to them, but they 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 weren't
1: able to be identified. Points of contact that they've set up for their fake identities. Yeah,
0: exactly. They've said that this was part of a broader plan, that they plan to have an announcement soon to talk more about why they did it, what their point was. I, as a rule, dislike trolling. Mm
1: -hmm. And it seems that
0: this was... It just intended to be a massive troll.
1: I I would definitely agree with you. It does seem to be leaning more towards the trolling side. We can't just sweep it away because it needs to be fixed.
0: It does need to be fixed.
1: But that said, I thought I was a little bit heartened because this article is certainly about the journals that fell for it. There were, I mean, journals that didn't. That's why we found out that this particular article was one of the junk articles because Mm -hmm. they fished it out to a couple other people and their checks and balances didn't fail.
0: Yeah, exactly. So another journal essentially picked up that it was a problem. I was at my first internship at a newspaper. I was a fact checker. And the way that they described doing their fact check, the secondary journal doing their fact check on what they were sent, sounded like just good fact checking to me. And I wonder why that didn't happen in the first journal, the one that actually published it, because all academic and scientific journals do, not all, but many do have a peer review process. And this one did go through peer review. But it sounds like those reviewers never asked for any data, never confirmed anything the else. They never confirmed that these people exist. The authors of the of this fake article don't exist. I think maybe one of... Th- the very first guests that we bring onto this show will be someone in the academic or scientific journal publishing we industry to talk about specifically peer review, but also about the journal or the journaling industry in general because there is so much there. But yeah. I think we should do a a an episode definitely on fact checking in general. <laughs> yeah, no, I think
1: that's. Such <laughs> and a then end-like...
0: also we should do one on peer reviewing in general as well. I think that's
1: a great idea. Different and how different industries approach. Yeah, definitely. All
0: right, moving on. We talked about this in our last episode. The American Booksellers Association is grappling with a free speech discussion industry-wide. For those who don't know, I didn't describe the situation very well last episode, and Kaylee corrected me, so I'm going to describe it better this time. The American Booksellers Association faced a... Medium to, to large scandal recently, where they accidentally, through official channels, promoted an anti trans message and then redid their institutional policies to avoid that in the future by stepping back from. Some of the protections that they provided for minority voices when it comes to potentially protecting more conservative, more inflammatory, more. Potentially, potentially
1: abusive. Or... Potentially
0: abusive hate speech, things like that. We talked about this last episode where one of the members resigned from the ABA in protest and it has received a lot of coverage. Huge shout out to Shelf Awareness, which is a trade newsletter about booksellers in general for covering this and having incredible comprehensive coverage of this. I got this story from Shelf Awareness as well. There was a round table of bookseller members and Pen America sat down to talk about this issue and the broader issue of free speech and who deserves protections, who does not deserve protections, what should slash shouldn't we be promoting or refusing to promote. I, I sent you essentially what was just a, a breakdown of what everyone had talked about. And it was more of the same, honestly. It seems like we're all pretty much on the same page that speech that promotes violence is not protected speech. We should not be inciting violence or hatred. Most of us draw the line at violence as we well should but many individual booksellers draw the line at hatred mm-hmm. as well i as i read this i felt like i was reading two conversations that were pretending to talk to each other but really weren't i mean we're talking about two separate things right booksellers independent booksellers who people who own their own stores they get to choose yep. what goes onto their bookshelves yep. It's really not up to anyone to say what they can and cannot promote through their stores. Mm -hmm. The American Booksellers Association, which is a trade group that supports these people, it's not up to them to say one way or another what they should and shouldn't support in their bookstores either. Mm -hmm. And it seems... Like, the other discussion that's happening is what should and should not be sold in general, Mm -hmm. which is totally different. No one is saying that books that are you know that one specifically that got called out through all these discussions was a specific book that was like how to protect your children from the trans movement no one is saying that that book cannot be published i personally if i were an independent publisher would not publish it but that is my right as an independent publisher i i personally if i were an independent bookstore owner wouldn't put that on my bookshelf to be mm-hmm. sold because that is my right as a independent bookstore owner and I, as a human being existing in the world, also would Will not say that that book... would spend money on it. Well, I wouldn't spend money on it, but I also wouldn't say that that book couldn't be published because that's not up to me at mm. all. Nor is it up to the government. Again, free speech
1: only covers government actions. What did you think? I think that the argument for objective free speech... I think that's what, um, Ken, whatever his name was, the guy that stepped back from the ABA, I think that was his, like, stance, is I think he's saying that there's just, there's no way to know what the ultimate potential how, harm is going to be, like, where How you, history you will shake out here. You can't draw this line because we don't know. Yeah. And so, I, I understand the impulse. I can't curse, we're trying to curse less, but we I are. think it's <laughs> full- I'm just going to stop there. It's bull. We it's all know not what it is. great. <laughs> we know we have a history in our country and we can point to that history and say, for example, white supremacy and anti minority speech incites violence. Yes. So we can say that we know that. And we can I can say that, that, so we know I, that. I understand the impulse to be like, well, you can't, you can't, if you can't know something for sure, then you have to take a more, like, you have to be more liberal with your approach to the protections. But we can point to a thing right now and say yes. this causes. This causes actual harm. Yes. So as a responsible provider in a consumer market, what do you, how do you approach that? And I think that that in this case, the ABA has done their best to protect the speech that needs protecting by encouraging resources to connect. And then this conversation is always going to keep happening right now. Yeah. And the, like, just for the last human history when new ideas come that protect people that are minorities they're always shocking and people are always against it and they're always going to be defensive i mean well not always but like a lot of people are going to be defensive and i just deal with it i agree we are probably going to keep talking about this we've talked about it i think three
0: weeks in a row yep. now yep, yep, yep. <laughs> we'll see where it goes uh, again shout out to shelf awareness for keeping some really, really great coverage of this going. Yeah. Keep on keeping on. This is on. such a
1: good it's such a good thing to be aware of and yeah. to just keep in mind.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. We we cannot take a hard enough stance and say white supremacy is bad, <laughs> that trans people are welcome, that human beings should be able to make their own choices, and that if you are inciting violence, you are incorrect. That is our hard line stance on this. We are not booksellers. We don't have skin in this game. We, vote we with are just our money and what we buy. Yeah, we point. are we are conveying the news to you listeners. That is what is happening. Moving on to women being awesome yeah. in publishing. Margaret Atwood. This was published by the CBC. Margaret Atwood will be celebrated on a stamp in oh, Canada. That's wild. I'm so Good happy for her. That. I I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but oh, The Handmaid's wow. Tale was the book that got me Back into reading after I got burned out on it in school. Oh. I was an English major in college and had to read a ton, ton, ton. And I remember being very, very burnt out on reading just in general when I graduated. And then I picked up The Handmaid's Tale and could not put it down. It got to me. I devoured it and then I think I read it again. So I personally think that Margaret Atwood deserves every accolade that, That's awesome, yeah. that she can and should and will get. And The Handmaid's Tale as a story is a very scary and potent oh yeah, dystopian fiction that
1: it lives rent-free in my brain. I don't know about you. So it's I get really uncomfortable by how it's only, like, maybe two steps to the side. So I have not really indulged in that because it will live rent-free in my brain in a way that I don't want to live with. That
0: is why I haven't watched the show. That's one of those things... Do you ever, like... Do you ever find a book and you like the book, but then someone is like, if you liked this book, you should read this other book. I'm like, oh no, I don't want more.
1: Oh no. I, I liked this book. I don't want I more a, of that. No, thank you. <laughs> I have a list of media. It's like my favorite thing I'll never consume again. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. My when they were like, book, we're going to make... My movie. My favorite show. Nope. Never going to see any of that again. It no, was great. Thank you. Never again.
0: Especially Handmaid's Tale. They were like, we're making a TV show. I was like, I don't want to see... Any part of that? <laughs> nope. The book was traumatizing. I mean, it was so incredibly well written. You haven't read it, have you? Nope. So her dialogue style is so visceral oh. and so fascinating. Just as a like reader, craft. as a read, as a crafter, yeah. Someone the, the craft of her writing is incredible. I have been dragging my feet on reading the sequel that she just published because it is about some of the perpetrators and not about mm. the victims. And I again don't. <laughs> yep. You don't
1: necessarily want <laughs> more of that. Consuming that is difficult, but that's I. Fair. it
0: reminded me that the craft of writing, the craft of storytelling can function as so much more than just words on a page. And I will forever be grateful to Margaret Atwood for doing that Absolutely. for me yeah, awesome. and clearly for the people of Canada. Yeah. Congrats to her. Absolutely. And obviously congrats to all of the women and marginalized peoples in publishing. Keep on sparkling. And now for our
1: favorite section. Kaylee, what are you reading? I finished the first book in the Stariel series, The Lord of Stariel. So give us the quick... Recap for those who oh, yeah, haven't listened I'm before so or, don't, or don't
0: care to listen before.
1: <laughs> accurate, accurate. The first book you've got, it's kind of an alternate history with, where magic is potentially real. You've got this small realm, which is essentially a kind of a, like a locked away ha- fairy kingdom, essentially. And this particular family is sort of the, the minor English lords. The protagonist is like the oldest daughter in this family. And she ended up leaving... Her village, essentially, because she wasn't a proper lady and wanted to learn magic, and so she went and had her wild years, becoming an illusionist out in London and working in the theater in that libertine uh, environment. And her father hated it, of course. But then her father dies, and there's the new choosing ceremony to be the Lord of Starial. And so the whole plot of the first book is that that choosing, and then somebody has made away with the the, the stone itself that does the choosing.
0: I think you called it a doohickey. Last it was episode. a doohickey. Yeah, I called it a doohickey
1: <laughs> because there's more to it. It's like a but it's uh-huh. also, it doesn't, I mean, it's, it's a, a doohickey. magical doohickey, guys. <laughs> so she had to go on a quest with her butler love interest, who she finds out over the course of this book is actually a fairy yes. in hiding, or uh, one of the local neighbors in her town that is also a love interest. He's very broad shouldered and good looking and smooth talking. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so you have these, th- these you know, th- these threads kind of twining together. And then she ends up flambaying a dragon with her. Previously not especially powerful, but now turbocharged pyromancy. Oh, cool! She <laughs> got a power up. Oh, yeah, she did. Absolutely. Perks. So yeah, it was great. So I enjoyed that. And mm-hmm. so now, like second novel, she's trying to come into her own. Mm-hmm. And now they have to deal with starting to deal with the fairy kingdom. Mm. What are you reading? Amy? I
0: also just started a sequel. I've talked about this on the podcast before. Gideon the Ninth was probably my favorite book that I've read over the past year yeah. it is so good and the tagline there we've talked about how the tagline did not match up with the plot but the tagline <laughs> was like lesbian space necromancers which do exist in the story but the plot is like a locked room mystery where we've got a bunch of people in a castle and no one can leave and no one can come and then people start dying so they're like which one of us is killing people and it's like a whole thing and then there's a subplot about necromancers in space with magic <laughs> kind of right. <laughs> So Harrow is another character in that book. She is Gideon's partner. And Harrow the Ninth is about Harrow after she leaves the castle, and she is now in a broader space opera. But... The plot, it seems, is like a memento-style plot. So this book starts, I think, a week or so after the last book ends, and Harrow remembers nothing that happened in that last week. And then it has been slowly revealed over the first few chapters. She also doesn't actually remember what happened in the castle. Like, she's having these memories but they are not at all what actually happened. She's like, well, I never met this person. I'm like, you did? You had a whole heart to heart. Oh my God, this is so And she's like, and why? And then like this person was there and he, he was weird. I'm like, that guy was never there. Harold, what's going on? And so now she's received a bunch of notes from herself. So I think that she erased her own memory and like did a thing because she didn't want everyone else to know what she had done. That
1: is (laughs) such a cool idea.
0: I love that.
1: That is, that is, I, just from what you're describing, Mm -hmm. like I'm thinking the author is brilliant because you've got this massive world. And so she introduces you to it in a locked room scenario where you've got it contained. So you're starting to bring the reader into the world, but limiting enough content so you can get used to the characters and to the style of writing and not feel like you're getting a bunch of stuff blasted at you. That's so smart.
0: I, I think she's a fantastic crafter of story, a fantastic plotter, and she has tons and tons of memes and jokes <laughs> in I love this it.
1: series. Oh, it's sounds so relatable. It's very, like very it.
0: good. I'm liking it an awful lot so far. Uh, we are going to take a quick break and when we come back we will get into our main section which we are very excited for today we are talking about the SCP Foundation fan fiction and collaborative fiction we'll be right back And welcome back. We are jumping right into our main section without further ado. I'm excited. I feel like I say that way too much on this. Take a shot, everybody. Yeah, cheers. (laughs) We are talking about the SCP Foundation. And I wanted to talk to you about this. I got into the SCPs this year during spooky season. Yeah. Just because they started going around. And I had heard of them before, but they've been kind of a niche thing and so they're kind of broadening and spreading now into mainstream media and I am absolutely loving it. So for those of you who don't know what an SCP is, <laughs> SCP is an acronym. It means secure, contain, and protect. That is not relevant to anything. SCPs was, it was just a random string of letters And numbers that this guy, when he decided to write the original SCP entry, the OG, I think it was like SCP number 175 or something like that, and it was... Back in the old days, the
1: olden times. In the
0: olden times, we used to get these things called creepy pastas,
1: and they're they're still around.
0: So they're they're still around. So creepy pastas were like uh, they would, it would tell a scary story, and then it was like, "Forward this to ten people, or the same thing will happen to you." And it's mm-hmm. like you'll have your guts eaten by an, an evil clown, or something, or you'll get stuck in a public bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Back in the day, they were fun. Like it was a fun little horror thing. I'm not usually into horror, but I do like short form horror. Sure. Oh yeah. So I would say around, I guess, the early 2000s on 4chan, which is not a place we talk about that often, but I mean, again, take a shot for the the millennial references. On 4chan, someone posted a creepypasta, basically, except it was just a
1: microfiction creepy story Mm -hmm. about this creepy monster. So things that you might be familiar with, Candle Cove and Channel Zero and that whole like first season, that's a similar concept to Mm -hmm. this particular form. It's the story that, did it happen? Did it not happen? It could have happened. And yeah. If things, if things have gone slightly differently
0: in the world. Mm-hmm. They're, like, just on the edge of things that make sense. And I absolutely love them. So it's it's broadened now. There is a wiki. It's scp-wiki.wiki.com. And it's run by some venerated storytellers, and they're all really fantastic. And I want to read to you their mission statement just because I love it so much. And they make me, they make me so happy. It's, it reads like a manifesto of the men oh, in yeah, black. yeah, for sure. All right, so here is, from the administrator, the story of the SCP Foundation. Mankind, in its present state, has been around for a quarter of a million years. Yet, only the last 4,000 years have been of significance. So what did we do for nearly 250,000 years? We huddled in caves and around small fires fearful of the things that we didn't understand it was more than explaining why the sun came up it was the mystery of enormous birds with heads of men and rocks that came to life so we called them gods and demons begged them to spare us and prayed for salvation in time their numbers dwindled and ours rose The world began to make more sense when there were fewer things to fear. Yet, the unexplained can never truly go away, as if the universe demands the absurd and improbable. Mankind must not go back to hiding in fear. No one else will protect us, and we must stand up for ourselves. While the rest of mankind dwells in the light, we must stand in the darkness to fight it, contain it and shield it from the eyes of the public, so that others may live in a sane and normal world. We secure. We contain. We protect.
1: It's so cool. I just I love, I love the vibes. I love the, the vibe clone. is so, it's so good. Just, it's so good.
0: And I wanted to talk to you about them be- today because an SCP story recently went viral on TikTok, and every now and then SCP stories go viral on every medium, and people get really confused. <laughs> They're like, "Is this
1: real? Is it not?" <laughs> well, that's the point, and that's yeah. the tone behind the SCPs. Yes, is it like it's
0: just on the edge of like, could it be? When you're 11 and you read that that like creepy pasta about the clown coming in, you're like, "Okay, I'm gonna share this." just in case there is a real evil clown who's going to mm-hmm. come kill me if i don't share this with 10 people it's got that vibe and i absolutely love it but it's it's growing in popularity it went viral on tiktok recently someone posted an scp about it, water like in general an
1: impact in general that's been spreading through the water yeah, it's spreading, spreading to open the water. water bodies and it was <laughs> yeah, just, exactly. like just stay away from bodies of water yeah
0: it was very very good then there was a, another story that went i don't think it went viral but it was relatively recent about an scp that was found by someone who was just searching for a touristy things to do in a city and then they were like what's going on in philadelphia it's like well there's a monster in a lake if you want to go visit that lake and they're like (gasps) (laughs) yeah it was a whole thing and the the author of that news article was able to contact the actual writer the the person who wrote the scp entry it's very very fun And it is, in fact, I think it holds the record, it's impossible to verify because all these things are very unofficial, but I think it does hold the record as the largest collaborative fiction project on the internet, which is saying something. There are tons of collaborative fiction projects on the internet. And you had heard of this before I sent it to you. What was your experience with SCPs up to now?
1: Just a general osmosis knowledge. Um, Mm -hmm. I've definitely read some entries. I enjoy short form and microfiction, of course. So, like, definitely enjoyed the ones that I had sought. But not, not really dove deep into the mythos.
0: And this leads perfectly in. It is a shared universe now, mm-hmm. and that universe has grown. So the SCP Foundation, I read you the the entry from The Administrator, which I think was written in like 2008. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah,
0: nope, it was. But we. W- I wanted to talk about shared universes and collaborative fiction yeah. in general, using SCP as a lead-in just because it is one of, again, the largest and the most popular. So mm-hmm. we'll be relating these things back to the SCP Foundation. Uh, let's talk about definitions. Yes. Kaylee, define collaborative fiction for us. And then tell us what it is not.
1: So we've kind of mentioned for the SCP that it is both a collaborative fiction as well as a shared universe. So collaborative fiction is really where you have a story or a work in which multiple creators or multiple authors. It could also be an editor, um, T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. Ezra Pound pretty much was almost the exact same amount of influence on this particular poem. And it's a seminal work. I mean, modern poetry would not be the same without this poem, The Wasteland. Oh. Ezra Pound essentially cut that poem in half.
0: As and an editor, the, that as is an editor. a mood.
1: Yeah. So, so just, I didn't know it was in half. <laughs> yeah, I know, Almost, almost, almost exactly. It's, it's, it's a lot. If you look in some of the stuff that they pulled out, oh my God, necessary to pull out. Not going to get into it. Feel free to do your research because it's a little gross. Just, I just wanted to give a nod to that because God knows we don't, as a culture and society, I, I don't think we credit editors enough. Thank you, Kaylee. I think, <laughs> and I, think I, I bring that up. I try to, like, I mean, that's why we have Star Wars, and that's why the original trilogy was as well-received as it was. Because Kathleen Kennedy went in there and was like, I'm your wife, you can't say no to me. And she edited this shit out. So I just wanted to kind of give a nod to that, mm-hmm. because we are focused more on the creation side of things, I think, mm-hmm. in this episode. but So I just wanted to get that out of the way. So collaborative fiction, let's go ahead and just jump back to creation. Yeah. Multiple contributors, multiple authors contributing to a single work. And then you've also got shared universe fiction, which is when you've got related but different. Yeah, the, the absolutely and, and frequently similar. Mm-hmm. Or like yes. it's all like frequently a Venn diagram that sometimes is one circle on. It's like a, a rectangle and a square. All shared universes are collaborative fiction, but not all collaborative
0: fiction is a shared
1: universe. Correct. Yeah. So collaborative fiction would be Good Omens. Carrie Pratchett and Neil Gaiman wrote that together. A shared universe would be Neil Gaiman's Interworld. He had created the first book on his own, and then he started bringing in co-authors. You've got the 1632 Grantville universe, which was written initially by Eric Flint and David Freer. I've not heard of that. What is it? So basically, some alien detritus brushes a town in West Virginia coal mining town essentially and it goes back in time to 1630 oh, no. Yeah, they go back in time to one of the most horrific periods yeah. in time yeah it's a very fun read it's more brain candy than anything doesn't doesn't strain you mentally or emotionally but it's just it's a shared universe that's established and it spreads out what is your favorite shared universe before we move on from this one that's such a good question what is my favorite shared universe there's definitely, like, fanfiction in general is all of it is shared universe. Let's go ahead and yes. just get that out of the way. So I'm going to say that fanfiction doesn't count just because everything is great. <laughs> like, I have too many favorites. <laughs> I will say that probably a combination shared universe and collaborative were a series that I thoroughly enjoy, especially recently. The Sherlock Holmes universe that was developed, I really enjoyed the Enola Holmes books and the movie and just all of the stuff that kind of has jumped off of the concept of Sherlock Holmes. Did you, I didn't ask you earlier, did you have a favorite SCP that you've ever read? I (gasps) do actually. Tell me. So it's Recovered from the Mariana Trench is the name of this particular SCP. I have not encountered
0: this one, but the title sounds like I know what's happening. (laughs) At
1: first you think it's our world and they're just like, yeah, something just, something happened. It's always how it starts. Yeah. It's like our world, something happened. The the magic cruise liner went down and that was the first symptom of the end of the world. And then videos didn't surface for a bit, but then it did, and it was like a giant arm basically just ripped into this cruise ship, and it just immediately sunk. And then just a massive amount of these anomalies, Mm -hmm. so monsters, escaped and just demolished humanity. The erstwhile author for the, the recovered artifact is in their house and kind of ducked and covered and didn't leave for a week, and that was kind of how they survived. As all of these monsters came out, as people lost their minds, as everybody kind of exploded. So when they finally left after, say, a week or two there was a huge trench. Basically half of the world was gone is how it explained. And so it couldn't see the other half of them. So effectively for that person, there was no more of that part of the world. And as they were exploring, they encountered a wounded person who seemed to be in soldier's gear, brought them back to their apartment, helped them recover because they'd been doing some scavenging so the person recovers and at one point as they're getting healthier this person's asking for information and finally this person's like i don't think my orders really matter anymore so basically they're part of an organization they never say scp or anything they're um. part of an organization so this person's talking to the soldier and they're just explaining that they had contained these creatures but there was an, an incident that got out and it became i can't remember exactly the term it was like a zero dash h greenhouse okay. situation and he's like what's that it's where the world humanity is effectively ended but the world itself is still habitable Oh, okay. And so they're going to basically do a reset. He's like, but how? Like, that's not impossible. You're crazy. And he's like, no, we've done it before. And he's like, what? He's like, yeah. And he's like, no, you're like, what about like the people? And he's like, you won't remember. You won't be around to remember. So basically the end of this artifact is like, I'm going to throw this into the trench. Don't let them forget about us. And remember, this is the the title of this is recovered the from the Mariana, Mariana Trench. Trench. So they it, flooded
0: everything. They flooded it,
1: reset the world, and we didn't remember. So oh. there was a former iteration of something that was essentially our world with right. something that was essentially a similar, purpose. Oh, similar I like purpose. that. And apparently, it's like it's been done before. I thought that was such a cool
0: idea. There are so many things to talk about with collaborative fiction in general and the specific way that we encounter it on the internet. And an in SCP is one of the things that I wanted to talk about. I read... A, I should just stop reading The Atlantic. <laughs> but I was reading The Atlantic. <laughs> and this guy was talking about how nobody reads short fiction. Nobody cares about short fiction. Only people in MFA programs care about short fiction. It's like a masturbatory thing because no. they're the only ones writing short fiction. I'm like... That's bull. I'm sorry. That's such bull. Especially when we're talking about the social media age. This is... The perfect environment this for is short, short fiction renaissance of short fiction. It's just thrive. not It's
1: snooty, highbrow, academic, scholastic. That's not where it's all. There's no gatekeeping up there. It's, yeah. it's accessible to the people. It's a very intimate experience Agreed. to everyone, including Agreed. us unwashed masses. And I just, like us unwashed. Un- and like the un-
0: Get them, Kaylee. Tell them what's up. I think that we, we really can't go by this whole topic without talking about social media because, I mean, the SCP literally would not exist without 4chan. We can call 4chan social media, I think, yeah. for the purposes of this discussion. I agree. The TikTok that went viral that we mentioned earlier obviously was on TikTok, which yeah. is a social media site. You can go on YouTube and find some wonderful SCP videos. Maybe it's just me, but I really enjoy horror in the shorter form like oh, that. Oh,
1: micro. Yeah, no, like, because it gives you... Get, your... get out of
0: here with your two-hour-long jump scare movie. I,
1: no, and I like I'm i not into that. Or more, like, it's more about your imagination <laughs> taking yeah, something exactly. small and, like, gives you so many ways that it could go. And, like, exactly. what's the worst for you? Because that's where you're going to go. Exactly. That's so much better It's not just gory horror. Yes. There's no need to put yourself up to raise yourself up by putting something else down. Literally no need. Agreed. One hundred percent. I I I think that's gonna be a main
0: message of this podcast is there is no need to tear someone else down to build yourself up you can appreciate things that are out there without being a jerk
1: (laughs) well you know it's so interesting speaking of a shared universe and collaborative fiction and and narration the twilight zone there's one episode of the twilight zone where a bunch of astronauts are caught in a time loop they're dead and they just keep dying over and over and over again isn't that some shit the end of the twilight zone episode that's the episode that stuff's like just fascinating and like Mm -hmm. tv shows and anthology natures like you get a lot of super cool things because you've got such a variety of people and views coming into the creating these scripts. So cool. So how do we
0: define fan fiction in this space as in transformative fiction? So we're talking about collaborative fiction where many creators contribute to a work Mm -hmm. and shared universes where many works contribute to an overall. overall idea. Where is transformative fiction in here? When, when you start to see someone post a, a prompt Somewhere and say, hey, I want to read stories that have these three things, and they have to have this tone. And then a bunch of people write essentially the same story. That I think, taken that as a whole, is collaborative fiction as well. What I'm getting at here is that a lot of fan fiction, transformative fiction, is its own kind of genre. But taken as a whole, we we don't write fan fiction in a vacuum. No, of all creative.
1: It's the fiction we're works. collaborating
0: on, for sure. We are all working on a shared alternate universe, extended universe story. And I think that that's something that can't really go unexamined. And also, it should be appreciated because we live in an age where we can do this. And that is awesome. It and amazing. it's so wonderful. I'm so excited to see where fiction goes from here with all of the new technologies that keep coming online. And especially with all the different ways that we can connect. I mean, social media is probably going to be one of the biggest influences on fiction in general Mm -hmm. ever. Yeah. And that's so exciting to be living in an era of that.
1: I deeply, deeply love the celebration of humanity and all of its forms that has risen up from over the last, you know, 30, 40 years. Just of people not necessarily writing what the academic circles say should be the goal. You know, it's just getting so much more encouragement and the fact that there's accessibility to the market and to the consumers and to the people that are reading or buying or looking at this art has just so dramatically increased with the different technologies that you have a better, you can, yeah, you can point to this and say, yes, there are people out there that want this and that encouragement encourages those writers and content creators to continue what they're doing. I think that's amazing. I do. I really love. I love the the sheer celebration of humanity that we have <laughs> we have just moved into and are embracing. In my opinion, at least in in fiction mm-hmm. specifically, is what I'm I'm referring to. So, and
0: specifically for the SCPs, you know, reading through the history of that universe, you get these throwaway lines about edit wars on Foundation characters. I I have not been in a good edit war in a long time <laughs> on a wiki but people get so passionate so we, good. we... I
1: just love people that can engage in yeah the, anything that encourages the engagement and personal investment absolutely
0: I did not realize by the way listeners that there are entire academic journals publishing like people's PhD thesis manuscripts about why SCP is so important to the horror genre as a whole I love you nerds and you need to keep on keeping on because you make me happy yep. <laughs> as a researcher, as a nonfiction writer. I will continue to lurk and Just read all of your stories. You are absolutely
1: fantastic. I mean, innovation is key and it, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. This is where it is happening. It used to be that, you know, it was on college campuses because that's where you could have the tools that you were provided with and the access to stuff. But we don't, we're not locked there anymore. We we're ha- We have that access now. Like in our houses, on our phones, in our cars, at the bus station, so we're not limited as as we used to be, and just go crazy, guys. Keep keep doing different things. Take advantage everywhere that you can. If you're interested in writing something, in experiencing something, do it. If you're if you like something, talk to the person that is involved. If you have thoughts on the matter, definitely engage. People are are out there and they want to engage with you, and that, it's such a great experience to be part of right now i love it so much and that's why i think that anybody that just poops on fandom is just at, at best a, a stick in the mud and at worst just a bullish butthead <laughs> and that's my thought on the matter in a way that we can say it and not have to bleep it out so. you big
0: old poopy face that's right Thank you for listening to the Ink Sync. You can find us on Twitter at the Ink Sync. We are on In-Sync, or on Instagram at the Ink Sync. Uh, we may have more social media coming up soon. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, wherever you want to go. We appreciate you listening. My name is Annie. This is Kaylee. See you next time.